All right, guys, uh, welcome back to the You Know Adam Sane podcast, where you get to know a little bit more about people, passions, and all things business. Today, I'm joined by two of the founding members of the Green Beret Racing Team. Is that correct? Green Beret Racing. Yes. Green Beret Racing. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, we were out at the range recently. Tell me uh, a little bit about kind of like what we were doing out there. So yesterday, what we did, um, we took out uh, some friends of yours, uh, Dave Pierce and the, uh, the guys at Pierce Building, some families and friends. We did basic pistol um, fundamentals and marksmanship. Okay. Then we evolved a little bit into defensive firing, and we ended the day with uh, shoot some steel and having some fun. That's awesome. So, so uh, there's a question here. There's a little bit of, uh, I guess, distance between racing and then shooting firearms. Can can maybe one of you explain like what what's happening there? But we're both uh, spent quite a bit of time in, in special forces, the Army's Green Berets, and shooting is a it's a passion of ours. It's you know not just a a lifeblood of how we we come back from deployments, but it's also most of us take it up as a passion, you know, outside of the military. So a lot of us take our, our personal time and we help train friends, you know, mm -hmm. to make sure that they're they're safe because at at some point you you realize that this tool is not just dangerous. It's fun, so why not why not blend them? Now, where that goes into racing, is really the the premise behind Green Beret Racing isn't just let's go fast. It's get guys into something outside of their their profession that involves an adrenaline rush. So, Green Beret Racing is probably a misnomer, but okay. it's really geared towards how do we do something that involves competition that you know seeks to to get a guy not to commit suicide, but instead to commit time. Wow. Wow. So uh, you did. You were mentioning statistics uh, at the range yesterday. I, I think that um, a lot of people out there know that it is something that uh, exists, especially in the military, right? Um, is it more prevalent in the Green Berets than other branches, or how to? What, what's kind of like the relationship there? It's it's definitely higher in the, the special operations side. So mm. everybody's familiar with you know, Army Rangers, with Navy SEALs, Green Berets, and the, the other units that are associated with SOCOM, the Special Operations Command. We see a higher rate generally because we have a, a higher deployment tempo, we have a higher job requirement, and we also see a higher casualty rate. Mm -hmm. So when guys are not able to, to find an outlet for that, either while on a team or outside of the, the military, suicide tends to be the way that goes. Mm. Right now, statistically, the Army sees about a 20 per 100,000 suicide rate, Okay, which is drastically higher than most professions that people even know of. The special operations community has a 39.3 per 100,000, so dang near double. Mm. That's It can be correlated to quite a few things, but it mainly comes down to purpose because everything in, in special operations is about the team. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you sacrifice your family, your, your body and your time. And when that's gone, you, you really have this big empty space. Mm -hmm. I and mean, what do we do with it? You know, that's, that's really the question that we're trying to answer. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Uh, amazing what you're doing with, you know, the organization, but take me that back to the beginning. So how, how did the green beret racing start? So initially, so I'm retired. I did 22 years. I retired May 19th, and um, I got into doing firearms training and executive protection. Uh, just an outlet. If I'm being honest, I didn't want to go to work, really. And uh -huh. This doesn't feel like okay. work for me, so okay. I, I kind of went into that. So Nick is still active duty. He called me mm -hmm. up and asked me if I wanted to race in the Mid 400. 
had no idea what it was, but I'm very familiar with uh, ATVs, UTVs, um, being in special forces, we use them a lot. So I'm very, um, know my way around them pretty good. So we get out there, we fast forward to the, the, the Mint 400 and we're racing and we get assigned a vehicle that okay. was uh, rented and donated to us. And we never even got to touch it really uh-huh. before it was time to race. Okay. So, so you're going into this. Have you used that type of vehicle before yes, at that point? But okay. not that one in particular. But, okay. Never even started it until okay. they, we got, we started it up to get in it, to drive it to the start line. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, that was the how, that, how was that kind of like, was it nervousness? I mean, did you feel kind of, how did that feel? As stupid as it may sound, exciting. Excited. No nerves or like, I don't know if it was nerves, but just a little apprehension. Like, let's not tear up these people's equipment. But, sure. But being uh, so nervous that you can't operate, no, uh-huh. it was awesome. Sure, I love it. Yeah, then we get up there and um, we're staging, and you're looking around, and like we said before, you don't get overwhelmed, but then you realize the stage that you're on now. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is not just bebopping around the desert. This is an event. This is a place. They are as they're we're standing up to to um, sing the the Star Spangled Banner, and you look around. It's like Okay, this is this is for real. Mm. But it ended up turning into something so huge and so great that that's what kind of pushed us forward to GBR because for me, uh, feeling that sense of loss that Nick was talking about before. So you go from doing all these high octane events and these things that's required in your job, working around like-minded individuals who want to come to work every day, who want to perform, who want to compete in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go from that to Okay, now what do I do with my hands? I'm done. I'm retired. Everything should be should be great, right? Mm-hmm. That sense of loss, uh, that gap. What do you do with it? And then we find guys uh, they diving headfirst into a bottle, mm. or they don't have that healthy distraction. They don't have any more competition. For me, it was spending six hundred dollars almost a week at the range, mm-hmm. trying to scratch an itch, you know, for whatever reason, and I'm uh, trying to figure out who am I now because part of me feels like there's nothing I'm ever going to do in my life that's going to be as great as what I just got finished doing, which, which is not true in any means, but, sure. but that's how you feel. So trying, trying, when I got, when we got out there, that was the first time that void was being filled mm. through GBR. And then talking to Nick, we just sat there and was like, we got to figure out a way to get this out to the fellas. Mm. There has to be a way to, to cultivate this into some type of atmosphere or culture to get guys that, hey, there are other things. There that's are right. healthy distractions. There are ways to be competitive. Uh, and that's basically the base of it, you know, mm-hmm. just trying to figure out how to, for me right now, is to be a veteran servant, to get guys uh, that healthy distraction through competition um, and help them out. So mm-hmm. your excuse was that you were retired. Yeah. What? What is? How come you wanted to race? Like, why? Why? Why did you decide to go for that? Um, I, I was working for a, a, a different nonprofit at the time. Got and you. Through a network uh, of friends, uh, the opportunity kind of fell in my lap. Uh-huh. I grew up in a, a family of mechanics. Okay. You know, a, a very, you know, blue collar. You know, every, the whole family gets together. The, um, you know, probably not proper in today's terms, but the, the women would stay in the house and the mm. men would go out and we open the hoods of everybody's cars and talk about what parts we replace. So I, I grew up working on muscle cars. Got you. Um, in my, 
my, my first marriage, I said, this is another problem within special operations is that divorces are very prevalent because guys dive into their profession. I spent probably the first five, six years of my special operations career, just diving into deployments, diving into schools, thinking the, the next credential, the next medal on my chest was, mm -hmm. was going to make me happy. And I sacrificed not just my body, but I sacrificed my, my family. Mm -hmm. And there, there came a point that I'm, you know, I'm going through my divorce. My kids are gone. My L4, L5 has been ruptured. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't do my job the way that I had previously done it. And in a highly competitive field, when you can't perform at a physical level, mm -hmm. especially with, you know, the guys that we work around, you're, you're taking down a couple notches. And I, I maybe I wasn't mature enough at the time to understand what I was supposed to be doing, but I, I needed something. And there's a, there's a point I remember I, uh, you know, I, I was waking up, I, I had beer bottles all over the floor. Mm -hmm. You know, I was running from, from room to room without an idea of what, what I'm going to do in the, the next place. And I, I finally found, uh, working for that, that nonprofit was, uh, something that kind of got me spurred, got me going somewhere, but it was, it was still, you know, burning a candle at both ends without a, a purpose. You know, what, what am I getting to? Mm -hmm. And then that race, it, it reignited something mm -hmm. inside me. There's there's a passion that I'd forgotten that I had, mm -hmm. you know, and whether it's wrenching on cars, going fast, or just, you know, seeing, getting the thrill of, of doing yeah. something crazy, you know, it, it, it reignited that, that passion. We're sitting at breakfast the next morning, you know, this is a 12 hour race, you know, we're eating pancakes because why not? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> You know, he, he says all that to me and I was like, how do we bring this to the masses? You know, that, mm. that's our regiment. You know, obviously if it's a problem for the two of us, two healthy young men, you know, what, what are we missing? You know, what is everybody else missing? Cause we look around and there's, there are other nonprofits that do things called adrenaline therapy. Where they'll take guys out, they'll take them skydiving or they'll put them behind the seat of a, you know, a desert racing vehicle and they, that's it. And then they're, they're kind of done. And that, that's cool. You know, you get them out there. Our purpose, we think, is, is a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do, instead of just, hey, come out and race this one race, we're trying to get them to invest in the vehicle, invest in the team. You know, we have, we have long-term goals of what we like to do. The, the initial startup of this is saying, if there is something that you have a passion for or you don't know, mm. we want to remove the monetary means by which prevents you from doing this. Because racing see. is not cheap. So at the end of the day, if we can raise the funds, we have the vehicles, we have the parts, and we have the know-how, what stops you? It's mm -hmm. just removing that excuse of no. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's nobody that we've seen out there that has, has stood up and said, by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. We hear it. You know, we see the hashtags at 22 a day. Yeah. We see people helping, and that's, we need that. Mm -hmm. But we work with a high-octane group of people, mm -hmm. and those people can't just sit around a campfire talk mm -hmm. about their feelings and walk back into a nine to five. Mm -hmm. They did an outlet, a, a positive reason to set an alarm clock. And he talks about it. I talk about it. When we have a race coming up, setting that alarm clock isn't like setting it for work. You set it for work, you, you're like, oh, damn it, can I snooze? But when it's when it's race time, you're beating your alarm clock up. Mm. You're, you're, nope, all right, yeah, cool, good, I'm up, Yeah. let's go. And it's that reason to, to drive you forward. And I, I've had a lot of conversations with guys that have contemplated suicide mm. or that or even guys that have put a gun in their mouth and pulled the trigger and it hasn't gone off. And one of the, one of the things that they, they relate to me the, the best is that I didn't have anything to wake up for. Mm. And if you don't have anything to wake up for, you're not living. That's right. You're alive, but you're not living. That's so right. the, the Greenberry racing platform 
And we have six different racing categories right now. What are they? We have dirt bike, UTV, we have drag racing, street bike, we have, and then this, a section we call human powered. So okay. no yeah. engines involved. So we have marathon runners. We have guys that compete in best ranger and we have three gun shooting, you know, and, and, the, and the reality of it, Adam, is if a guy comes to us and says, man, I'm struggling. And we get to that conversation of, man, what is it that you like to do? And he says, I like to fish. All right. We're going to put you in a, put you in a fishing tournament because mm-hmm. you know, it's about the competition, not necessarily, you know, not the event. You know, the event is, you know, as Blue was saying, it's, it's can be awe inspiring yeah. to sit in front of 60,000 people yeah. when you didn't expect that in a vehicle yeah. that you've never piloted before. <laughs> a Star Spangled Banner is going off. We've got jets flying overhead. And, you're, you know, is this realization, yeah. you know, and you're like, whoa, this is this is cool. And it it became a driving passion you know, a year later. Here yeah. we are starting something completely different. So that's, that's what right. we're trying to bring to guys that have never experienced that or don't have the means to experience it. Mm-hmm. Well, if there was something that you could tell, uh, you know, someone that is struggling with with that right now. I mean, obviously, you have a ton of experience, you know, speaking with people that have been on that edge. Mm-hmm. What is the message that you would tell them? And, and how would you kind of, I guess, guide them through their next steps? I would say the biggest thing is to speak up. The problem we'll have is the guys, they won't say anything. And outside looking in, if you see a guy who's retired, he has his health, he has a nice house, he has a car, he has his family, he has a job he goes to every day, you don't see the detriment that he's causing to himself just in his head every day. And because you don't see it, nobody addresses it. So they have to be the ones who initiate it. So getting guys to sit down and be honest with themselves and say, I need to talk to somebody. Hmm. I need help. And that may not mean going to a counselor. Mm-hmm. It may be mean calling another one of your brothers, as most of them will do, but taking it beyond that because a, a call from a thousand miles away can only do so much. That's right. Guys can only break away so many times to <clears throat> get to them. Getting guys to invest in themselves through healthy competition, through reaching out and just realizing like you, they have to say something. And it's gonna be okay. There is another side to it. You you will come through it. I think a lot of them, uh, they can't get out of their own way in that in that manner. They may want to reach out, but then they don't. And then you go into that dark place and that dark hole, and they overthink it. And then you feel like, well, there is no other option. Mm. You know, pride is a is a killer. Yeah. You know, pride, uh, and to be a detriment to yourself. So if that was if that was one thing I could tell guys was like, raise your hand, take a knee, don't be scared to do it, and you'll get through the other side of it. But it has to be recognized first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you think that? Uh, what what percentage of people that are coming out of uh, any sort of either military or special forces do they do they have do they have similar experiences every single time like when they, when after they finish finish kind of like what they're going through is that something that is just understood to exist I would say that I think it's different for me I didn't even know I needed it mm. until I needed it I just felt something and it was like like this sucks you know why did I retire. And that's all I could come up with. Um, I didn't go jump on my wife or abuse my children, anything like that. Mm. I was drinking a little bit more than I should be. And uh, just spending time trying to uh, jump on my motorcycle and ride from San Antonio to Georgia for the 4th of July. Just a lot of random challenges to myself, but not figuring out why. 
why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. That that was a, that was a big thing, and I don't. That's from my personal experience. I think, but I think it all kind of centers around what's next. You know, mm-hmm. it's like Talladega Nights. You know, Ricky Bobby. What do I do with my hands when he's standing there? Like, what do I do? The wheels are turning. The, the blood is still pumping. The fire is still burning. Yeah. Now what? And I think if um, I think that's a that's a big portion of it. Guys not knowing um, what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say the environment to open up. So you know, we, we spoke earlier about uh, the campfires and people being able to talk, and, and that's great. It, it really is. But the the mechanism of trust mm-hmm. isn't isn't always there. Mm-hmm. So the 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 great thing about this is getting together the wrench on a vehicle. You know, you invent some dang cuss words. You do because no uh, engineers don't talk to mechanics. <laughs> so yeah, you have to find you know colorful ways to to express yourself. But it also provides this this environment that. Hey, I, I trust this dude. You know, uh, we're in a roll cage together. We're on a track. We're flying. We're navigating. We're communicating. But there's that that unspoken bond. Now, Blue and I've been we've been to Africa together. We spent you know a good amount of team, a good amount of time on a detachment together. Gotcha. So we already had that. But right. sitting down with guys, there's there's a natural standoffishness because mm-hmm. you don't want to appear you don't want to appear weak. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, this is a, a, a good example of this. In, in 2005, 2006, I was in the infantry. I was a part of the 172nd Striker Brigade. Mm-hmm. We spent 16 straight months in Iraq. That was a heck of a long time for a you know a 20 year old to to do this. But uh, the the end of October, I had a, a friend of mine was killed. Mm. He um, used to work out together, dive. He'd made the Olympic team to actually dive. Dude made me look like a fool in front of some of the girls at the pool because I didn't know this and he didn't explain it. But <laughs> <laughs> and he even let me go first. But um, I happened to have a day off that day. We rotate through. You know, you know, one guy from the squad would be off per day. We had nine guys, so every ninth day was my my day off. I just happened to be off the day that that happened, and that you know, it sent shockwaves through the the company, of course, when the guy gets killed. Mm. Um, so his funeral was four days later. Uh, the the memorial service that that we'd hold over there. Big green machine don't stop though, so my platoon had to go out. One of my friends said, "Hey man, you take my spot." So you can go to the funeral. You can be a part of it, uh, the memorial service, and I'll just take your day off. Solid trade. We've been doing this for you know sure. dang near a year and a half now. So I'm at his memorial service. When I come back, he um, I found out that Doug had invoked a, a rule that said, "Hey, he stands in that ash because I'm I think I'm average size, but I guess six four two forty is not okay. average size in America. <laughs> okay, um, and military vehicles don't fit me very well." So I would stand out the back of the, the air guard hash and the striker just because I didn't fit. So he's not a big guy. He invoked the rule that said, I'm I'm taking his spot because I'm here in his place. Um, he was killed by a sniper that day. And that that's a terrible day, but I compartmentalized it hard. You know, I, I spent probably two or three days in my head, you know, mourning with everybody else, and then I moved on. So I thought. You know, and, and ten years later when I'm going through a divorce, I'm talking to a, a counselor about it. And I'm in tears crying about something that happened 10 years ago. Didn't even know that it bothered me. Mm. And it set me down this different course. And, you know, like he was saying, like, I didn't know I needed something. That was a great growth experience for me. But it took a decade that yeah. I, I shoved it down. So when you look at what these dudes are doing when they get out, they find something to dive in. But it doesn't mean they're facing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, facing the things that are actually going. And we're... Our casualty rates are, are through the roof since 2012. There have been more Green Berets killed in combat than 
the rest of the military combined. We make up more than 50%. Why, why, why is that the case? We get sent to a lot of places. Out of uh, tempo. It costs bang for the buck. You know, you, you send 12 guys that can work with an indigenous force. They speak a foreign language. You know, they're all of higher rated intelligence of however the military says that, you know, however they, they rate it. And you put them there and it's a, it's a force multiplier. So instead of sending, you know, three companies of infantry to an area, I can send mm -hmm. one special operations detachment and get the same bang for the buck. Mm -hmm. So it puts us in austerior environments. It puts us in places that don't have as much large support. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've been in firefights where you have, you know, five jets overhead and they're dropping bombs and doing strikes and it's still heavy fire. Mm -hmm. Now you take them and you push them further out and take away the air cover and I don't care how bad of a dude you are, you got 60 dudes on the other side firing. They're going to find one of you. Mm -hmm. So we see it, you know, right now we're in a weird pause just based on peace treaties and, and negotiations. But for the past couple of years, we were seeing three, four dudes every six months mm -hmm. you know, getting killed. And mm -hmm. we all know them. You know, there's walls and there's more dedicated to them. But because of that tempo and because there's not a lot of us, it just turns around next mission. Next mm -hmm. mission. You come back, you have the memorial service, and then it's okay. Get to schools, get trained up, mm. get recertified. We have to deploy. And our, our op tempo at one point was, you know, you get half a day off for every day you're deployed. And anybody that's done any kind of job in the military knows that a day off doesn't mean that, or a day home doesn't mean that you're home. Yeah. You, you it does certifications and no. credentials. And what does it mean? It means you got a day in the States. Mm. Not necessarily. Not necessarily you, because there are other things that will come up that you have to address. Schools, training. Uh, just because you're not deployed and you get to come back, it doesn't mean you're off by any means. Mm -hmm. The Army tries their best. As I was retiring, they were coming up with different programs and trying to uh, make sure guys are getting as much time. But you can, you, you can only do so much. You know, wars don't stop. Um, mm -hmm. The Army machine doesn't stop. So they're, try they, they're trying. You know, uh, guys, they've actually pull guys back when they look and like, this guy's had has too many days out, get him back here. Mm -hmm. But that is a, a slow a slow trend. Like I said, they're trying to figure it out, you know, and that's another, I want to say that too. Uh, what we're seeing is, is not due to the lack of the Army not trying. It's just, it is a different avenue. The same way we are separated to be selected for special forces, it is a different process to try to help these guys. Mm -hmm. it, it just is. Um, I have a friend who's a counselor, and they're like, well, why don't they do this and why don't they do that? I said, because they're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I spoke to a counselor one time in 22 years. Mm. It was available for me mm -hmm. one time, and that was mandatory. Mm. It's just not something that guys, um, they're not just going to push that way initially, you know. And it's a, it's a it's a check to block. You yeah. know, we, we know all of the questionnaires that are supposed to screen things out. It's just, you know, how many hours of sleep are you getting? Mm. Well, you know, how much average drinking hour, you know, how much drinking, <laughs> you know, do you do this? Do you do that? And we know all the, all the answers we're supposed to put. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's true. And now that that seems weird. Like why wouldn't a guy seek, seek trouble? You know, right. when I, when I had that, um, that blown disc in my back, my L4, L5, I had gotten back from a trip to, uh, to Africa. I don't, I don't remember the month, but within a month, I was getting back surgery. And six weeks after that, I was in Baghdad. And it was, it wasn't, nobody sat me down and said, hey man, what are you doing? It was just a, an understood thought that my team is heading to a hostile area. And I'll be damned if somebody takes the spot 
of me that I don't know, that I don't trust, that they don't trust. I'm not putting my, you know, their lives in somebody else's hands. Now, you look at that from a logical standpoint and say you're not able to compete physically. You know, you're more of a detriment. Yeah, but you're, you're not hearing that at that time. You know, it's no, about no, no. let's go. So you got guys that come back. They see horrific things. You know, mm. they're, they're getting blown up themselves. You know, they're getting shot. They're watching their buddies get killed or, or maimed or whatnot. And the, the questions that get asked to us, we know red flag goes off. Say, well, if I answer this correctly, I'm getting taken off my detachment. Everything I worked for, you know, is, is gone. I don't know if I'm going to come back. So it's, I wouldn't even say it's a sign of weakness. It's almost a, a sign of distrust in, a, in an organization that's trying to help you because you can't let somebody else take your place. You know, mm -hmm. it's, you know, I mean, think about it. Would you buy a car from somebody without driving it? No, you don't, you don't trust that guy. Now imagine if your buddy's life that you trust with your family, you know, he knows your kids, you know, blue knows my kids, mm -hmm. you know, to think of somebody that I don't know, stepping up, having his back that I, I have no clue who he is, regardless of what tabs are on his shoulder, what color his hat is. I don't know that guy. Mm -hmm. I don't trust that. You know, this man's awesome. I'm mm -hmm. going to, I'm going to put myself out there for him. Mm -hmm. And that's what you see across the regiment is that these guys are, you know, stuffing these problems down continuously, continuously. And there is no way to step up and say, Hey, you can still go do your job. If you just answer these properly, nobody's going to trust that. Mm -hmm. It's just how it is. Yeah. Uh, so what is this, is it, is the issue from the front end or because there's a certain extent that's okay. Well, you know, if I go through, if I, you mentioned answer these questions correctly, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So should we be taking better care of, because right now we're solving the problem in the back end, right? Mm -hmm. After these people get out, there's, there's something for them to go through. But can, is there anything that can be done on the front end? That's, that's a lot of this. Yeah, try, trying to, um, but a lot of times, and I know people say it all the time. You don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Trying to identify because people don't know how, how they're going to react to certain things. I went through what I thought was just fine. Mm. You know, I retired with all my limbs. You know, I'm healthy. Mm. And for the most part, everything should be fine. But it, but it wasn't. Mm. So how do you identify that? Mm -hmm. You know, prior to that, you, you really can't. It's just that they guys um having enough... Um, Courage to say and speak to themselves and their friends to say, okay, I, I got to get something done. Mm -hmm. Something is not right. I don't feel right. And uh, uh, identifying it and stepping forward with it. Mm -hmm. That's, I think that is the, 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 I wouldn't say the easy button for it, but that has to be the most immediate thing, I think, because you can ask all the questions you want. Mm -hmm. And guys can answer because that's what they're going to do. They're going to look at the question and say, what would Jesus say? And they're going to answer every, every time. Every time, and uh, I was in that same position. I don't blame them. That's that's what they're gonna do. Is it the right way? Hey. Mm -hmm. But that's that's what you're gonna get. So once making people understand that they can they can trust the system, there is a way. There is help, but you have to be, I guess, so to speak, your own res your own um, first responder on mental mm -hmm. health and saying that okay, something's up, mm -hmm. and I have to address it. But it would be cool if there was a way that we could be like, look, you're teetering, bro. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can't see it. Yeah. 
but guys hide it very well. Mm-hmm. They hide it very, very, very well. That's right. It's hard. It's hard to, and to be that person that said, "You need to go sit down somewhere," because you don't want to take that away from somebody. Yep. You know, you don't want to be that guy, that team sergeant, that leader that says, "Okay, I know he had a rough couple of weekends. Do I really want to pull him and potentially make a?" A situation even worse mm. because you just don't fully know. It's so many variables in now, and hopefully down the road there are ways to to be able to format this to see it through. But with GBR, once it's identified, as soon as it's identified, that's what we're going at. So as soon as that flag goes up, there's an outlet. Mm-hmm. You know, what's phone call, golf, what, whatever it is, mm-hmm. just get that person to think. Okay, I know that I can call these guys. And they're going to take care of me and whatever that means, you know, for them, mm-hmm. you know, so. I, I knew we were on to something when I was, uh, I was on a phone call. A friend of mine called me up. We had a suicide in the unit and a guy that was really close to the guy that committed suicide was was having a rough time. And that's that's code, you know, for, for us to say, hey, man, this dude's he's in a rough spot for somebody to, to another person to make that call that that guy's looking at polishing bullets, mm. you know, to, to take his life. Cause you know, whatever has clicked is, it's not right. So I get on a phone call with him. I happen to know the guy and we're talking just, you know, normal BS that, that we do. And I, uh, I didn't want to bring up that I knew he was going through a hard time because you could get a guy, especially on a phone to just stonewall and just shut off. Shut yeah. He's like, no, man, yep. I'm, not, I'm not talking about this. So instead we started talking about racing. You know, I'm talking about the Mint 400 coming up. And he's like, man, yeah, that sounds cool. You know, I was like, hey, man, you want to, do you want to race? And he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not really into racing. You know, and I was like, oh, yeah, no worries. We do other things. And he's like, I'm into, I'm into tinkering. And I was like, like working on vehicles. And he's like, yeah, and I was like, dude, I need mechanics. I, yeah. I need people in the pits to do stuff. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah, like we're right around trophy trucks. And right there, I, I heard a flip. He was like trophy trucks, you know, thousand horsepower, yeah, you know, methanol injected vehicles that are amazing <laughs> feats of engineering. And he parked up, and he's like, "When is this event?" I'm like, "Oh, it's you know, weekend of March seventh, March sixth. You know, I'll get you in the pits with the trophy trucks. We're right next to him." And he's like, "I'm going to clear my schedule right now." And there was a complete shift mm. in how he talked. It went from, "Yeah, man, works, works, work. You know, yeah, family. You know, doing this, working on this project." To wait a minute, that's. That's cool. I, I want to be there. And that's a future plan. And you talk to any psychologist that talks about suicide. And a future plan is the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's a guy saying, okay, in the, in the future, we're, we're going to do this. You know, I did another a suicide invention or intervention with a, a friend of mine. And we made him in charge of, or we put him in charge of all the planning. Because mm-hmm. we were coming to where he was. We, he had like a three-day heads up. And we're like, hey, man, we're looking at doing this. We're looking at doing that. So we forced him in that, that small interval to make plans. And now he's sitting in that, that team setting again, where he can't let his friends down. Mm-hmm. The same reason, you know, I deployed with a, a broken back. Mm-hmm. Same thing there. Hey, I can't let my friends travel down here without things being set up. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, we're doing fantastic things. I've talked to that guy so many times since then. Mm-hmm. And, and you, had a, you had a couple really heartfelt phone calls with me mm-hmm. of, you know, there are tears being shed. There are things that are, that are being said that you wouldn't get out of him if you just walked up and said, hey, man, mm-hmm. I hear you're thinking about taking your own life. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to get cussed out. Dude's going to hang up on you. He's going to yeah. walk away. He's going to shut down. So that's the, the wrench turning portion of this where you get guys 
into a place where they have a, a set goal. Mm -hmm. They want to do this. And whether that is sitting at a drive box with, you know, the, the golf, uh, you know, hitting driving balls out there and, and having a good time and talking and working yeah. on stuff and then things come up or we're, we're driving, you know, 80 miles an hour through the desert and you just get that bond going. And that's really what we're after. Yeah, that's great. Um, so from, from the general public, what is the best way to, you know, help your organization? What, what, what can the USA do for you guys? Uncle Sam, we need a check. Yeah. What um, do you guys need? Money. Mm -hmm. And that's, racing is not cheap. You know, no. and, and we heard this the other day, um, you know, somebody was like, well, why don't you, why are you trying to do things with UTVs and, and drag cars? Why don't you just go dirt bikes? It's cheaper. Yeah. It hundred percent is. And if we were trying to be budgetarily conscious, you know, we would throw people and say, go race, you'll run. Mm -hmm. That doesn't cost us any money. But at the end of the day, the broad spectrum of this thing is dedicated towards whatever that person needs, mm -hmm. not what we're good at. You know, I'm, I'm a mediocre dirt bike racer. Mm -hmm. I, I am by no means should have any decals on my bike for, for how I race. <laughs> by no means, nobody's, <laughs> but like that is terrible advertising. Uh -huh. um, but at the end of the day, if somebody comes to us and they're like, man, this is, this is a passion or this is what I want to learn to do, mm. you know, because trying those new things, that's, that's just another thing that we, we compete in. Who are we to tell them no? You know, mm -hmm. and that's the, we have this, this slogan that says, you know, stop accepting no from people who haven't tried. Mm. And we haven't seen anybody step up in this way and say, hey, whatever it is that the person in trouble needs, not what we're good at. Because I'm, I'm an all right golfer, you know, I'll pay for somebody to go mm -hmm. golf in this, you know, the second it comes up because that's, right. that's what's needed. So really, Adam, that comes down to money. Mm -hmm. You know, we had, a, we had a fantastic fundraiser this weekend. We have another one, you know, coming up in two weeks. But at the end of the day, to do to have an outlet, mm -hmm. a place where guys can go, a team room, if you will, that is not in their team room, where they can be comfortable, they're not bothered by the outside world, it's a reprieve from their burdens. You know, that's that's what we're trying to build. Mm -hmm. And I mean that that takes money. That's so right. They can do it through through the website. You know, we have a we have a donate button there. You know, we'll give you the information. You can you can throw on the podcast for for the PayPal and, and stuff like that. that Absolutely, that people can donate. Absolutely. And then for for you know, um, is Green Beret Racing is that only for Green Berets or is that for other branches of the military? So it's currently. I mean, we're, yeah. we're two months old. Yeah. Um, it's for, for members of the regiment. Okay. Yeah. So we, we lean heavily towards Green Berets. Mm -hmm. However, if we have the means to help out, you know, a, a Marine Raider, mm -hmm. or a, a Army Ranger, you know, a Navy SEAL, then, I mean, that's the goal here. The yes, goal sir. isn't that Green Berets matter more. Mm -hmm. That's just an area that we know. We can walk right. in with the badges and the tabs and we can look at somebody and be like, no, you're messing up. And I know that because I've been there. Mm. So yeah. that's... That's the goal with that. For instance, for last year, for the men, we had no support system. There happened to be more Green Berets actually in the area training and a maintenance support team that happened to be out there for them. They helped us out just like that. They were our backside support with a, for, with a, in a, a matter of minutes with a conversation. That was it. That team, that, that unity just formed up just right that wasn't planned before. It was like, hey, we're in the area. Cool. Can you spare this and that? Oh yeah, we give you like seven guys to go help you. It's only one day, mm -hmm. just like that. So it's it spawns from us Green mm -hmm. Berets, but 
eventually we're going to push out. You know, the thing is to help God. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody, we're not going to tell anybody no. When they come up and they're telling you, I need help. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that um, that's what we start from. That's what we know. You know, because mm-hmm. yeah, when we started last year, it was us racing against Marsoc, uh, Navy SEAL team, uh, PJs, other special operation uh, guys. And, uh, and people will tell you, we rib each other. But when it comes down to something like this, we're all on the same team, mm-hmm. you know, especially when you, when you dealing with mental health, trying to get guys connected, give them that um, that environment and that culture, so so to speak, mm-hmm. of being back on a team and being around like-minded individuals. You know, we're always going to work together with, with other organizations. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it was great kind of like talking to you uh, so much about, you know, the Green Beret racing. I think it's amazing what you guys are doing for you know, you. your, your guys' organization. I think it's something that is definitely needed. I, I, I personally did not realize until yesterday that that was something that even existed. I didn't know that that problem. You, you hear it. It's always like kind of like in the background. Um, yeah something like that right it's like oh it's there but to to be for it to be kind of like brought to the surface i think is 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 a huge um thing that you know of what you guys are doing uh is there anything that you guys would like to tell the world i mean this is kind of like you know your opportunity to get that message out there what would you like to say invisible wounds take more of our brothers than the ones that you can see yeah you know the I have a, a friend of mine, one of my really good friends, he's a, an amputee and his right leg above the knee. He's one of the most driven men I've ever met in my life. He's a fantastic human. And he's a, a big proponent of it as well, that the, the things that you can't see, I mean, they're hidden, you know? So we have this, this really easy time looking at service members that have, you know, maiming scars, you know, they've, you know, they have missing an eye or they've been burned or they're missing a leg or something like that. That's visible. It's tangible. It's easy to see. And I think suicide is ramping up because we can't see it. Mm. We're not looking for those signs. We all stare at the guy walking through the airport without a leg and mm. we see it. It's there. But for every one of him, there's 10 people walking through that airport that are contemplating things in their life. Mm-hmm. So the message I would say is not just reach out, but hold somebody accountable. Mm. You know, you know, that's a it's a tough thing to do. It's uncomfortable for the person that's holding them accountable because you feel like you're infringing. But there's nothing worse than sitting down with yourself after that person's killed themselves, asking, "What could I have done?" That there's there's no worse feeling, and that's a it's a cascading, spiraling. You know, it just takes you down. So, what's wrong with calling somebody and being like, "Hey, you were off today," and not accepting no mm-hmm. like no i'm fine no you weren't mm-hmm. i know you you're off mm-hmm. talk to me let's let's grab a beer let's go shoot a gun let's you know let's go drive mm-hmm. let's go do something fun you know and and really become invasive mm-hmm. if you will to a point and, and really asking those those tough questions don't mm-hmm. accept yeah man i'm fine mm-hmm. and it has to be habitual so one thing that i find that works a morning text hey bro you alive Mm. As fun as that may sound, yeah, jackass, I'm alive. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm checking every day. I love you. Have a good one. Mm. That, just those little things. And as, as weird as it sounds, we talk to each other like that. It's just <laughs> weird. It's, that's love. You know, I'm, we call it like you see it. But like you said, being accountable, holding them to it. Because that feeling, that knowing that you, you didn't do anything when you could have or you didn't do enough, 
that that's a feeling that's going to hurt worse more than anything. And, and you, Nick brought up a good point. A lot of times when you see those guys coming in or girls, they're walking through the airport and everybody's waving. At least probably half of that formation is thinking about what bills they're behind on. Mm. Is my wife and my family even at the house? Mm. Those, I mean, guys are getting off the plane for us and not to get too deep into this. There is no ticker tape parade. You get off the plane, <laughs> you go home. You hug mama, you kiss the babies, you go to work the next day, you knock out some paperwork, and if you're lucky, you will get that leave because you're old that. But more than likely, there's a school, there's not, something else is coming up. Mm -hmm. So it never completely winds down. Mm -hmm. And you know, you and it's always turning, it's always rolling. So making sure guys, they know that, hey, at some point, we can turn it off. There is somewhere to go that I owe it to myself, my family, my brothers to to make that happen. Mm -hmm. You know, just I think the more and the more we talk about it, the more we do it, it won't be so um, frowned upon to admit that. I mean, mental health is 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 stepped up a lot, like in the, in the last five years. I would say just for me getting the time I got out to now, but getting it into the regiment to a guys that trust issue, knowing that. I can raise the flag and say, hey, something's going on. And being in a safe environment, that's that's going to be big. Mm. You know, so making sure they're not afraid to do it. That's right. GreenBraidRacing.org. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Nick uh, and Blue, thank you guys so much for joining me on the thank show. You. I appreciate you guys' time. Uh, thank you for everything that you do for, you know, um, the, the world and the USA. All right? <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. All right. Cool. Thank you.